0: I'm a and this is The Friday Show. I'm surrounded by empty seats today because, you know, we don't really care about our team. And joining me in my armchair apathy, I've got The Friday Show regulars, Steve and Howard. Morning, Howard. Are there empty seats around you? Yeah, hang on. One, two, three, four, five empty seats. Excellent, excellent. Steve, how many empty seats have you got around you? I'm a more loyal supporter. I've only got three. brilliant now remember lads this podcast will finish 10 minutes early so we can both all three of us can beat the rush and get to wherever it is that we need to get to um right so since we're gonna finish 10 minutes early we should crack on um jokes aside obviously it's been uh there's been a lot of talk about city not selling out the semi-final this weekend and a lot of talk about the empty seats In the game against Cardiff. Now, I don't know whether we should talk about it seriously or we shouldn't talk about it seriously. I put it in the agenda. I kind of want to be led by you two. I'm going to start with you, Howard. Like, we've spoken before about not shaming a level of poverty amongst the supporter base or, you know, talking about empty seats as a knock-on effect of the cost of football and the amount of football that we have to watch. Um, when you see this narrative being put forward by the mainstream media and by people within the mainstream media, um, where does that leave you?
1: Yeah. Well, firstly, obviously we don't have to explain to any listeners the reasons it's blatantly obvious for anyone with two brain cells, I think, uh, and you know when I was a kid you know you talk about the playground you always talk about the playground about you know the fan base <laughs> in a way uh, and now I hear nowadays I hear you know not I hear of so many kids being City fans but I hear them where the parents aren't City fans so it's clearly that City are picking up a fan base yeah. amongst children and in 10 years time they'll be buying their own tickets you know a lot of them will be and that's when that's when the fan base becomes a bit more global. Where it becomes, you know, where there's literally huge waiting lists and a real, you know, need to get into the ground. Not that other teams are filling, selling out the stadium because there is, I think, a bubble that can be, is about to burst in not in the money in the game, but in the attendances. Uh, mm. Well, no one's bothered about anyone else not selling out. That's obvious. Uh, don't care what rival fans say, obviously, because we know that. Social social media's told me one thing: it's full of the world's full of wonderful people, and it's also full of utter detritus. And <laughs> Fantastic I mean, work. well, there could be a news article about ten orphans being, yeah, you know, saved from a fire in a house, and someone will say something pathetic below in the comments because that is what people are like, and that that's not just football; it spreads into all society. Politically, obviously, we don't want to go into that. Uh, the things you see every day are. Some people are just immature, nasty, petulant, and if Raheem Sterling wants to give tickets away to a school, that can be seen as a bad thing, of course, in some people's eyes, because that's how the world works now. But of course, it is so prevalent amongst fans now, and so the media must play a part. Now, things like Talksport don't give a damn to me, this, That's barely, they're not journalists. That's just shock jock, please phone in type place. Yeah. I mean, the likes of Dean Saunders. You know, he's probably the sort who has to lay his clothes out at night time so he doesn't forget to put them on the next morning and leave the house naked. He's just an utter buffoon. who <laughs> has nothing of any interest or any insight in football. And a lot of ex-footballers have no insight whatsoever. Live in a bubble and don't know what fans have to go through. But we know everyone says on Twitter, don't, just ignore it. It's just a thing. Everyone has a thing because fans are running out of things to say about the team. Because our team's better than their team, there has to be something to have a go at. Yeah, I'm sure City fans have done it to other fans, other teams as well. We look for everything. But the coverage of it by the media is, yeah, bizarre. There's very little written about the actual reasons. There's very very hard for a movement in this country to develop, to actually do something to solve these problems of why... People can't afford to go to football matches or choose not to, and this is a very British disease mm. i mean no one I don't know i don't obviously I'm not on Barcelona forum fluent in Spanish, but you think they're all having to go at each other because of empty seats because they never sell out I mean it's just such a pure juvenile, think- but the media and it has it would have died without the media just some you know Dave from Aldershot saying on Twitter does not keep this going. The media I know that's you're grouping together a lot of very different viewpoints uh, and levels of journalism, but I've not read much about you know, why this is happening, socio economic reasons and so on. It's just the banter level of coverage is just so tiresome. Yes, we should walk away, but it's so prevalent in it's so hard to walk away sometimes. You know, agree.
0: Yeah. I mean, do you think that I, I I guess that for me, and I'd be interested to know what Steve thinks, because I guess Steve, I would class you as somebody who is actually part of the media, even if you're not part of the mainstream media. Um, But I I do, I am beginning to feel like this is absolutely just a media driven thing. And it absolutely um, only applies to city and it absolutely only rears its head when city are doing well on the pitch, because, you know, it, it it tends to feel like the moments where City are doing the most good on the football pitch are the moments where off the football pitch the reflection of the club is somehow tainted whether it be by FFP or by empty seats or by whatever the kind of you know hot topic City related of the week is now a lot of people on the outside will go well you're just being paranoid there's no agenda against city but I you know there's there's a consistency to this and the consistency for me is simply the or an inconsistency should I say and the inconsistency within the consistency is that nobody else gets this. I see empty seats at nearly every football match that I watch but I never ever ever see a conversation about those empty seats. It tends to only apply to Manchester City, certainly from the mainstream media. Um, Is that me being paranoid, or do you think that is the case, Steve? Half and
2: half, really. Um, I I do think there is an agenda against City. I think, as you stated there, it's consistent. It's undeniable. Um, Personally, I'm of the opinion now, because I really, really don't give a shit what rival fans think about this. I don't give a shit if they think, you know, say that we should be wearing tin hats and and uh, <laughs> you know tin full hats and we're, that we're paranoid. It's gone beyond that point for me, um, and I'm leaving all that behind personally. And what I would really love to see now is for City fans as a collective, because there was a time when we were split. Some people thought there was an agenda. Some people thought there wasn't. Now I would say the vast majority of blues are sick to the back tee for this of being mm-hmm. the punchline, the, the media's punchline. The kind of the, the whipping boys, the kind of you know scapegoats, just an easy target. We have to start standing up for ourselves. We have to start fighting back, and we have to do it in numbers. Uh, we have to start protesting vociferously. We have to start collectively tuning out and boycotting essentially i mean talk, talk sport's a perfect example the amount of blues i know listen to talk sport and i know it's gonna be a sacrifice if you
0: enjoy you know if you're working uh and you you listen to Talksport, sport Lads, subscri- subscribe to the 9320 player and you get loads of content all week and you don't list, need to listen to talk exactly sport. so all i'm saying sorry steve i mean to cut no,
2: you off. no no I, but I, I do get the sacrifice you know like one of my best Kind of city supporting mates loves talk sport and yet it annoys the hell out of him. But that's why he listens, that's why he tunes in because it winds him up and um, you know, it agitates him, it kind of enlivens him. But we've got to make that sacrifice, we've got to tune out, we've got to boycott. We're not huge in number in compared to United or, or Liverpool, but a boycott would work they would notice it. They would feel it. If you're talking about 2,000 or 10,000 or 20,000 City fans, all stop listening to Talk Sport. And the key thing, and I really can't say this enough, is people, please, if you're a City fan, don't phone up. Don't call in. <laughs> don't, don't try and defend the club. You're playing into their hands. Just if they start slagging off City, Talk Sport, and no City fan phones up, it reveals what they're doing, but what it is, it, it just strips them bare because there is no yeah. balance there then. It, they are basically trolling and, you know, even new trolls will hear that and think, well, you're just laying into city here for no reason and not giving a a, a a kind of um view a, opposing viewpoint because we won't yeah. be phoning up. That's what we've got to do. But anyway, moving past TalkSport, onto the empty seats and, oh, Christ, where would you begin? For me, it's two levels to this. There's two different strands to this. One is that people say that we don't have enough supporters and that we're small-time and all the rest of it. Now, for those, of course they infuriate me, of course it's nonsensical, but I will interact with those people on Twitter. I will debate with them if they are wishing to debate in an adult manner. Um, Because, as I put on Twitter yesterday, City, 10 years ago, were at a certain level, so was the fan base. 10 years later, City are supernova. They're a super club. It takes more than 10 years for that fan base to grow exponentially with it. Um, We have to start, you know, in in time, as as Howard said before about the kids now wearing city shirts. I see it all the time around Wales now. Kids in city shirts never used to see a single one. They will grow up and be match-going supporters. In places like Norway, in places like, you know, kind of Germany, we'll have foreign... Fan bases, fan clubs, which will grow and grow and grow because what they see in the Champions League is Manchester City. That takes time. In 10 years' time, City will have a huge fan base. No question about it. But if people want to say that we're small time and we don't have enough fans, I will interact with them. The other strand is nonsensical. It's uh, utterly illogical because what people seem to be claiming is that City fans choose to not go to games. Now, we're loyal supporters. We're known for that throughout the game. That is undeniable. We are an amazing football team who plays amazing football. Successful football. That's undeniable. So even on the face of it, it's illogical. But then when you analyse it and you think, OK, so only City fans choose to not go to games. If, you're, if you take a random supporter or on a Friday night and says, you know what, I can't be arsed going tomorrow, that is more likely to be a City fan than an Arsenal fan, or a Chelsea fan, or a Liverpool fan. That makes precisely no sense whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So, the whole subject just grinds me down, and I try and ignore it because it bores me senseless, and it's infantile, and it's self-defeating, and it's a, a football problem, and we should all get together as fans, and take on the real enemy which is Sky and BT and Talksport and the Sun and all the rest of it, but we. Yeah, done- but
0: look, I think uh, I think that what's going to happen is that in ten years' time, all of this stuff will go away because I think this is a generational thing. I think right now, I think one of you two said it. Uh, I think Steve, you said it that right now the media um, is populated by the kind of two, almost two generations of United and Liverpool players yeah and the United and Liverpool supporters because those two clubs have been the over the last 30 years 40 years those two clubs have been by some distance the most successful clubs in England over the last 10 years City have been the most successful club in England over the next 10 years to come I hope that City will continue that tradition of being the most successful club in England I think a generational shift will happen and all this stuff will go away and that's the for me, the light at the end of the tunnel with all of this, because it's a small light mate. I, I don't think it's going to I think
2: city fans place far too much emphasis on you know, oh, in, in five years' time, Vincent Company will be sitting in the pundit's chair and he'll be kind of you know talking from a pro city perspective. Yes, that will make a slight difference, but to go back to your original question mate, I don't think this is a media creation, and to an extent, I don't blame the media. There is a market out there for slagging on city or
0: let's suppose empty seats. So No, I see that. But what I'm saying is that that whole, all of this stuff, yeah, is part of a generational package in the sense that right now we're seen as the nouveau riche club. Mm. We're seen, we're, we're portrayed and characterized in a certain light, which is the light that gets the clicks from the opposition supporters. Right. That's That sense of... I don't think that we'll be the same clickbait story in 10 years that we are now. Yeah. I don't think that Mansoor spending money will be the same clickbait story in 10 years that it is now. I think a lot of the stuff, a lot of the noise that surrounds Man City right now, and maybe that's the optimist in me. I believe it will go away in the, uh, I I used to think that
2: and I, you know, fair tos, I admire your optimism. I, I believe that will be the case, but only slightly. I, I used to really put a lot of stock into that. I used to look at Chelsea and think, well, who says Chelsea anymore? And who sees them as the nouveau rich club who just buy success? And no one does. That they are an established top club. Uh, and I thought, you know, City will get there in five years' time. And that hasn't panned out. Can I just mm. say
1: something left field? Just take Go up something it. Steve said, kind of discreet. You know, about fans not being asked going to the match, mm. I think yeah. that's absolutely true. Fans aren't. Some fans aren't asked to go to the match, and there's nothing wrong with that, because it's again, it's the, the black and white look at the world where you have to be either the most passionate football fan in the world or nothing or not interested. Well, no, that's not how football works. You can be a casual fan and go to the occasional game, and that's absolutely fine. Just absolutely. some people think it's a
2: competition that you have to prove what a great fan you are, no, no, what a hell, great but, fan base you are. Uh, no, it's not having to
1: go at to, I'm just saying, no, like, no,
2: just just to reply to what I'm saying, it it you know that that exists absolutely. I'm one myself. I am that that type of fan. Absolutely, I am. Um,
1: no, I, I don't mean just about going to matches. I mean some people are just they like football, and that's fine. You don't have to like you know hoover up information every day. Yeah, you just can yeah. be a City fan and. Be a casual fan. Absolutely. I'm a casual cricket fan. That's my second sport. But I don't go to watch Lancashire. I'm 95% about football. And you can imagine me you know, being attacked on Twitter for, oh, you never even go to games. It would be absolutely ridiculous. You know, I just like the sport. I like watching it, but I tend to do it on the TV. That's fine. That's my level of interest in the sport. You don't have to go to matches to support a football team or you don't have to be the most passionate in the world. You can support... You be a fan of a sport and a, a particular team at any level you want. Well, It's not just you point. everyone at the same level all the time. And, of course, the other thing is some people have fallen out of love with the game, the sanitised modern game. Now, we get abused for sticking by our owners because of human rights and all that. Well, then if those that have fallen out of love and don't go, <laughs> we're then yeah. abused for not going to the match. So which is it? Do you want yeah. us to take a stand or do you want us to be... Supporting our club, whoever our owners are, however much money we've spent, just people have different. Is I mean the the key point here is it's so unimportant in people's lives. I mean, we, and we, we it is important to us. Obviously, my mood will be very much shaped by what happens in the next month. But in the scheme of things, it isn't important and for a lot of people. This is way down the list of priorities. And they they might be a passionate city fan who wants. He's like sweating every day, wondering if we're going to win the quadruple. But Cardiff at home is not absolutely essential that they must be there and sack off everything else and all their other priorities in life to be there to see them play that particular game.
2: But how would I how agree. the key thing, so Very quickly, the key thing though for me is I completely agree with all that. Completely, I think it's a damn good point. But why is it that only City fans get kind of lambasted?
0: for this. This is what I was going to say. This is exactly what I was going to say, that everything you've said is absolutely correct, Howard, but the thing deep down inside that is doing my head in as we're having this conversation is no other fan base has to have this conversation. No. Do you know what I mean? I, that I, team I, isn't as good as ours. Okay, fair enough. If that's if that's what, if that's what it comes down to, then I'll take that on the chin. If that's the kind of the worst downside of having the greatest football team of the premier league era, um, then all right, I'll, I'll take that as a downside. I think that Um, that is irrelevant as well, because
2: I've had a couple of mates text me in in the past few days. And these are not the type of mates who who indulge in football bands and all rest of it, or one-upmanship even, apart from, you know, if our clubs play, play each other. And they've honestly asked via text, well, why is this? Why why haven't you sold out an FA Cup semi final? And you know it's unimaginable that my club would not fill out an FA Cup semi final. Um, and it's what they're basically saying is, you know, you are that good. Why aren't you basically going to you know fill in your capacity
0: every week? And because we've because we've got loads of semi finals to yeah, go exactly. to. Because That's the rea- because them. the reality is that when what people what I get the impression that what is re- the thing that I find the most offensive this week is like look at the amount of fixtures in the next two or three weeks look at the amount of fixtures in london ask yourselves how much it costs to get down to london and if you've got to stay the night it's like you know a family of three you're looking at a 500 quid yeah yeah. you know minimum 500 quid day out and then what we're doing that three times in in 10 days so that's 1500 quid and we've got people i mean ah that's, yeah. this is the thing that there has to be a, a there's moments for this right like if, if you get to the semi-final of that the Champions League, right? You're not in, and you're not in the the, the semi final of the FA Cup, and you know, you know, it's a different conversation. But when you've got all these games piled up back to back, and you're going for all of these competitions, then the supporters have to pick and choose to a a greater or a lesser extent. And I just keep going back to the same point, which is that nobody else has to have this conversation. So I don't really understand why City supporters have to have this conversation. And I basically blocked. Uh, to scousers yesterday because I was like, you know what? You're idiots. I'm sorry, but you're idiots. And I'm not going to, if you cannot engage your brain enough to not tweet something about connecting empty seats with apathy. Yeah. Mm. Then you're not worthy of having, a space on my timeline or being able to communicate with me so see you later because it's just yeah it's too much yeah and now, no, F- in- Fulham last weekend did a, you know the fans in a protest that ridiculous
1: match day price. Exactly. exactly and the comments underneath were exactly the same just like it's a British thing yeah you know, the certain fan groups and one of Liverpool's has a campaign you know for 20's plenty and caps on all and they've had yeah. some success but when when the, the vast and if Twitter, Twitter is not probably a fair representation of the population or the football population, sporting population, or maybe it is. But if it is a representation, then nothing will ever happen because it's literally <laughs> tribalism has gone so far that it, it you're just dealing with morons, I, absolute I, I, juvenile I, morons. But, if City are, but do you think simply Firmino would be screenshotting you know the crowd at City if City
0: were twelfth in the table, well, no, he wouldn't. So, yeah, but you can't really those those guys the the the, the picture of a player the, the 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 simply Firmino season and those types of Twitter users, and I'm sure we've got listeners that are Twitter users like that, right? As far as I'm concerned, yeah. If you're there for if you're there for the bants, if you're there for the shits and the giggles, you're not really there for me. I'm not really interested yeah. in that to a, to a greater or lesser extent. So whatever, I, I tend to ignore those people. Uh, lads, look, twenty two minutes in. I'm almost tempted to stop here, chop this up and release it as its own podcast (laughs) about empty seats. Do you know what I mean? But I'm not going to do that because it's the Friday show and we can do whatever the hell we want. Um, I kind of want to move this forward. Uh, I wanted to ask you both about Kloppo's comments yesterday about City in his press conference, but I don't want to dwell too long on it. I've just got a real simple question. Um, Does he talk a lot about City? Has he talked a lot about City in the last couple of months or is that just... Me and uh, is that me not really considering the things Pep has said about the title race and only focusing in on, on Klopp? Or is Klopp very specifically talking about City and how they're being characterized? Steve? What what did what did he say yesterday? I completely missed what he said. So he said that um he said that on the outside, people say that City are the best team in Europe and maybe maybe they are. They're the favourites for the Champions League along with Juventus and with Barcelona. Mm. But they beat Fulham 2-0 and we beat Fulham 2 2-1 two weeks ago and we had one mistake which is why fulham scored a goal but both of man city's goals came from it was weird it was a weird comment like both of man city's goals came from mistakes and it was kind of a weird comment because it kind of felt like he was saying we played dead good against fulham as well right. but city are talking about people are talking about city like they're amazing and they're going to win every game and i don't think that they're going to win every game and actually they're not really that amazing because we beat fulham By scoring two goals as well, it's just that we made a mistake and let a goal in, Mm. and I was just it just it felt a bit like he was reaching for a point rather than being honest in an assessment.
2: Well, that's interesting that because that could be added to his comments a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it, where he said what was he said about how City had millions of chances in a game? You remember that? I can't remember. I do. Yeah. So um, that shows you know he's he's feeling the pressure. Don't blame him at all for that. No problem at all with that. I, I wrote this week about the lack of mind games going on between Pep and, and uh, Klopp. Um, and it's when I was researching it, I, I discovered it. In, this passed me by at the time. But in January, the press briefly tried to kind of say, oh, the mind games have started. And what had happened was that Pep had said Liverpool are the best team in Europe. And Klopp had responded with, well, City are the best team in the world. I thought, what, that passes for mind games now? <laughs> um, and when you look at the two individuals as well, Klopp is a, a candid enthusiast. If if you gain his admiration, then he will talk very highly about you, You know, even if you're the opposition. You can certainly say the same for Pep Guardiola. I mean, my God. I mean, we, we saw in, in the Amazon documentary last, last season, um, he showed outright fear towards Liverpool. You know, the, the highest respect you can show. Um, so both men respect each other and they respect the other's, the other's teams. Um, and what we're seeing is just positivity, really. And people, the media are trying to kind of twist it and say, oh, he's trying to get under his skin there, play a mind game. Absolute bollocks. They're mm-hmm. basically just being, uh, acknowledging that the other is fantastic. Um, and there's a complete absence of mind games for, for as far as I'm concerned. I don't think Jurgen Klopp talks about City... Uh, too much, because he must get asked about City about 50 times a day, um, and I don't think Pep talks about Liverpool to any great degree. In fact, last uh, February, um, the press said something like, you know, are you in Jurgen Klopp's head? And and Pep just batted it out of the park, so, what the hell? Is this Jurgen Klopp you're talking about? You know, it's disrespectful to say that. Rent um, free, Steve, rent free. Yeah, oh God, if that was banned from Twitter, my oh. life would be... 5% better. Um, <laughs> 40% yeah. better. Um, so that, that's how I feel about it. I, I don't okay. think that there's any mind games. And I I think of the hey. two that, that Jurgen Klopp is feeling the pressure more, but he has every right to feel the pressure more. More's
0: riding on it for him. Okay, so, Steve, that was way too generous. Jurgen Klopp isn't utter bellend. Um, <laughs> and Kloppo, I, I don't know if anybody saw the uh, the the cameras are on me. I better go and celebrate in front of the cop thing. Jurgen Klopp is fake. He's fabricated. He's manufactured. He's like an atmosphere in the Bundesliga, right? He's just not a real guy. Um, And all the things that I thought he was where, before he came to England, he's just not that. I I really don't like him. Uh, I think that he's, Struggling to deal with the fact that he's not as good a coach as Pep and his team is not as good as Pep's team. Rather than being magnanimous, rather than being respectful, his comments are barbed. They have been since September. Oh, this he, is nonsense. No way. I'm it's true. It. It's true. You go back to you go back to September, right? And he was bristling about questions that he was being asked about City in September. Like really bristling. I remember at the time tweeting something about I feel like Klopp's feeling the pressure judging by the comments that he's made uh, in the last week. And that was back in September. And there were comments about the title race. So I just don't think that – I don't think he's handled this season well um, from a kind of – looking at the way that Pep deals with the press, yeah, he straight bats literally – everything that's that's pep's go-to way of dealing with the presses i'm just going to straight by anything and anything that becomes pep passing opinion on the opposition is simply never ever ever gonna happen what do you think about the fact that Liverpool are playing you have to talk to Jurgen Klopp about that that's for him to decide or that's you should ask him about that that's Pep's answer Kloppo doesn't do that Kloppo volunteered the comparison yesterday between the two Fulham games yeah that's that's not a straight bat that's a guy who's trying to make a point and you can't the point you're trying to make is a nonsense point because your team aren't as good as City's team accept that and move on straight back the comment. Don't try and defend your own team and talk down what city you're doing when everybody else in the rest of the world are going, Wow, this city team are maybe the best team of the Premier League era. And you've got you've got yet yeah, you've got Jurgen Klopp going, oh yeah but they won't win all the games and you know they're not that good and it's just a bit like you're a bit disrespectful mate you really are a bit disrespectful I, well
2: for stars, i think he's done the, the exact opposite uh strategy of, of saying that city will win all the games just as as pep has said liverpool will win all their games um and you know both set both teams will be absolutely instilled with the belief that the other team will win all their games so they have to win all theirs even though in liverpool's <laughs> case obviously that won't
0: ultimately if that's the case um, but he's just said that city won't as unless said, i miss really yeah unless i'm misreading it tactic, that tactic bro is- i'm telling you he said in yesterday's press conference yeah that everybody in the world thinks that man city won't lose won't drop any points any more points this season i don't believe that right okay okay that's a changing right? tactic so well, fair you know, enough.
2: I mean, I've got no problem with it. I, I think you're reading too much into it. And I think what it <laughs> illustrates is a, a kind of um, a, a crack in the armour. So if there's a bit of insecurity coming out there, good. I want
0: to see that from the opposing manager.
2: Okay, fair enough. I, I certainly don't think it's disrespectful.
0: Okay, fair enough. I'm, it was one of my mini-rants anyway. Uh, <laughs> Howard, you, you, you know what I'm like. Do you, do you want to be the voice of reason here and, and talk me <laughs> no. down from the edge as well? Uh, No, but I'm a lot closer to Steve than you, so... so, OK. I don't
1: really listen, you know, I don't listen to press conferences anyway, and I imagine I bristle quite a lot with some of the questions that are asked of managers because they must, you know, just peck away at them sometimes with the same stupid stuff, so I don't know how much he's been asked about City. Uh, And we've discussed before, it's a bit of both. He's, you know, he's perfect for for Liverpool because he, yeah, he knows how to... how to focus in on what they want in you know, a person and a manager, and he, li- you know, he lives up to it—the family and all that—and uh, the Liverpool DNA and so on. So yeah, of course, some of it's an act, but don't really bother me that much. Uh, he does annoy me sometimes, just looking at him on the touchline. He's a hypocrite sometimes, but most managers are. So no, I don't get that worked up about him. I'm Sure, do something to annoy me, but you know, over the course of a season, I can't think of that much. Yeah. Mm. He hasn't mentioned um, cooking mints. Press conferences yet. are just terrible things, so.
2: Sorry, Steve. Yeah. He hasn't mentioned cooking mints and, and walking through the streets of Liverpool and
0: smelling <laughs> <Save it laughs> for his know,
2: autobiography. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, like, you know what? Like to, a bird to
1: tattoo to be, on his ass.
0: To, to be honest, I, I think that uh I, I think Kloppo gets away with murder. I think that if if Rogers did half the stuff that Kloppo did, it'd have been laughed out of uh, out of Liverpool long, long, long time ago, I think because because he's German and because he's got that kind of, you know, everybody loves me and I know it attitude, he gets away with a lot of stuff that he really shouldn't be getting away with, and this is what I mean about him being just fake and manufactured, like a Bundesliga, a Bundesliga atmosphere, that. that's just what he is. I,
2: I love he's, that analogy, and I'll, I'll go along with it as well, but what I would say is, yes, I, I believe he is fake, and uh, I think, yes, it is manufactured, but I think a large dollop of that is because he deflects and he deflects with humour. Yep. And he does so because, you know, a manager, it would drive you insane being asked the same questions time and time again every day. Um,
0: oh, a- you're absolutely right. Yeah. But yeah, it, no, it doesn't mean he's not right. fake. I just think it's a tactic, I believe. Yeah. No, no, totally. I mean, everybody deals with this stuff, how how they want to deal with it. And I'm being super harsh on Kloppo, but, you know, I, I can't be asked with Liverpool or Kloppo this week. Apologies to... Any Liverpool fans? I've them? had.
2: Oh my God! The week I've had from writing
0: that, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Listen, I, I want to stop talking about the negatives and I want to start talking about positive stuff. Like City, you remember a week ago, lads, we talked about the fact that in seven days we could be having a conversation about six games left. Six games left. Well, here we are. City managed to beat Fulham. They managed to beat Cardiff they find themselves on this Friday with six games left between uh, them and back-to-back Premier League titles. Um, I kind of want to look back at Fulham and Cardiff briefly uh, because I'd be interested to know whether the performances gave you any insight into what's to come in the next month or so. Obviously April is upon us. We've got a ridiculous fixture schedule. Um, Howard, I'm going to start with you. Maybe start with Cardiff, like, I know that you didn't see the game. Oh, I have seen the I'm game. Sure. Yeah. You have seen the game now. Okay, perfect. So part timer. <laughs> I didn't want. I to just say couldn't be really asked. Really going to be honest.
2: <laughs> I I didn't go. I had a ticket. I didn't go. Well, again, I am moving out this week, so I couldn't square that on Wembley in one week. That was just I couldn't get that past her.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, Howard, thoughts on on the. Cardiff performance on the kind of fringe players that stepped in has it given you more cause for optimism? Like, you know, it's a it's a day by day thing with you. I know that your kind of nerves are a day by day thing, game <laughs> by game. So, so you know, right, how, are the, how are the how are the bowels feeling oh, today the- with six games left?
1: The bowels are okay because I don't have to think about the league now for a week. So, obviously, okay. there's other things to be nervous about instead. Uh, I kind of I tried to ask this to Lloyd after the Fulham game in the Fulham review. So I think you do lump the two together. What do we learn from these games? Uh, and very little would be my answer. I think they just. I think it really ramps up, you know, for the games that come from next week onwards. This was just City going through the motions and winning against far inferior opposition with the minimum of effort and controlling games, but. The games are going to be very different when we really get into April. So, you know, if you talk about performance levels, well, you, you do take optimism because they've they found it so easy. they still banana skins these games. Fulham away, I think it is. You know, it almost did for Liverpool, however dominant they may have been in that game. Cardiff at home should be a, an easy three points. I think you just, what we take out of it is that they've they've got through this period with, yeah. You know, obviously Zinchenko might be injured, but with. Very little After Effects, uh, so they're well set up for what comes ahead. But at performance levels are going to be very different types of games coming up, so I'm, I'm not sure mm. we can take more than well, we've got the six points and we move on to the, okay. t- the tougher games. You know, this doesn't really tell us much about how we'll play at home to Spurs or at Old Trafford.
0: Well, just looking at the Cardiff game and the players who did step in what I would consider to be squad players or fringe players. Yeah. Um was there did you get a sense from those guys that you feel confident in peps ability to rotate over the next few weeks because obviously it's not just about cardiff now the games really do come thick and fast and you do wonder for example whether you can pick your best 11 saturday at r5 in a in a cup semi-final and then tuesday evening which is literally two or three days later um in the champions league quarterfinal so did you did you learn anything about the squad players did it give you a sense of Confidence about the fixture pile up that you previously didn't have?
1: Yeah, I think I think I already knew this anyway that we can rotate better than we could a year ago and a lot better than two years ago and a lot, lot better than three years ago. So, yeah, we're getting there that you interchange and the players still know the drill, they know what they have to do and they put in performances. But I still can't take much about the changes because it was Cardiff at home where I think we could have chosen. Any number of different players, and we would have still suffocated them and starved them with the ball. So make those changes going into a big game. I don't know. I can't Cardiff tells me nothing in that respect. But then he probably he wouldn't make those changes <laughs> for you know Old Trafford. Uh, you know the, the side we saw against Cardiff. It's highly unlikely would be the one that would be picked over in the Champions League. I mean the back four possibly, yeah, but. Yeah, I'm not. I think that was a side for that game. Um, mm. I still don't think Phil Foden will be starting many games the rest of the season, and I still, yeah, obviously if Agüero was fit, he'd be in. Uh, but yeah, I mean the, the side's pretty good now at, at dealing with changes. Uh, I still get worried about defensive changes because I think that's the most crucial area for chopping and changing. You know, I've always been a big advocate of a stable back two, and we've not had much of that, but. We've not, you know, we've started the opposition again. When was their first shot on target card? If seventy-seven minutes or something, got a big cheer, didn't it? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, standard save for Edison. So the team's still doing the same, whatever the level of opposition even after the changes. But I still would take two. I don't think. I'll we'll get into. Yeah, it's going to be fine lines when we get to the big games. I don't think we really take much out of the last two weeks. Just glad to get through it. Get two clean
0: sheets, two easy wins, and move on. Steve, mm-hmm. same same question for you. And maybe slightly differently in that looking at those two, looking at the the, the six points that we collect, Howard seems, I don't want to say dismissive, but he, he seems to imply that we don't really learn anything and they're not really that important. Um, I would slightly disagree in that because there's so few games left, I feel as though every win increases the pressure on those who are chasing. Um, Do you feel that from a momentum point of view, actually those two league wins going into this kind of cup period were vitally, vitally important and they could actually be the catalyst to what comes next.
2: Yeah, absolutely you get the same amount of points against Cardiff as you do away to Manchester United. They were absolutely crucial. And you you guys know how I felt about the Fulham game. I just had a, a right case of the wobbles and I, I did not feel good about it. I, I had a bad feeling about Fulham. I mean within a space of fifth well, within the space of five minutes it was like, Good God, we are sharp today. We are looking good today. Um I think if you if Sinchenko hadn't got injured against Cardiff you could look back on the last two games and Say they were perfect for City, absolutely perfect. We've brought through some of the squad players, they've had some minutes in their legs, they've played well, they've contributed. Um, and then we we could then look ahead to you know April and think, right, we are in really good shape here. Um, the Zinchenko injury, it depends how you feel about that. I personally think that is a, a colossal, you know, stroke of bad luck. Um, it's it, it, that is a concern for me. Um, but that side. Yeah, so it was it was fantastic performances. And I know, you know, um, it was Cardiff. And I know, I mean, Fulham were woeful, it has to be said. Fulham were truly, mm. truly woeful. Um, but, you know, you can only beat what's put in front of you. And we beat them emphatically. And I've got to say as well, in terms of the psychology, now I don't know, obviously, how this impacts upon Klopp or, or the team. But I do know there was a Liverpool fan in the pub last night who was... And he wasn't talking to me, I just overheard this. He was saying, "Ah, uh, oh, the rest of the Premier League wants City to win the league, not not Liverpool. You could you could see that against Cardiff, 80% possession. If they play doors, they'd be playing out their skin Cardiff, but we just rolled over. Thought, yes, we've got him. We've got him. It's mm. you know, and that comes from games against Cardiff and games against Fulham, where Liverpool fans will be looking at these fixtures beforehand, saying, ah. You know, I'm not even gonna bother checking the result of that City will win all day long. But then as you get closer to kickoff, we start thinking, you know what? You never know, they might do something. But no. Emphatic. Kill the game off. Done. Right, move on. We've got three points. What about you, Lot? That's how to do it. Yep.
0: Absolutely spot on. Um, looking at some some individuals, some individual talking points, individual performance and players who need to be spoken about from this week. Um, Howard said, I don't expect Foden to play again this season. Steve, just to throw this over to you, we'll have a deeper conversation in a minute about the team selection for the semi-final, but playing the devil's advocate for just one moment, looking at Foden's performance in midweek, looking at the fact that the Champions League game does fall on the Tuesday, um, very soon after the semi, because the semi is obviously Saturday evening, would you wrap David Silver and Cottonwall again at Wembley and stick Foden out there because his performance merited it and because Brighton are a similar side to Cardiff? Or is that or will that be viewed on some level as disrespecting the semi-final or disrespecting um Brighton? Uh, no, I my team selection, my team prediction um
2: includes Foden and David Silver. Um because I've gone through the squad. And I've looked at the players who I expect to be dropped, um, you know, rested for for the Spurs game, and they include Kevin De Bruyne, uh, and they include Fernandinho. So I would expect, well, I say expect, who I would play personally was Gundogan, Foden, and David Silver in midfield against Brighton. Certainly, don't think that's disrespectful to play, you know, David Silver um, from the start, and you know, the, the brightest talent that England's seen for the last kind of generation. Um, mm. So yeah. I I think beyond the Brighton game, I wouldn't expect Phil to get too many minutes. Um, but I think he, was, he played fantastic against Cardiff. He was impactful. He was influential. He was uber confident. Um, and you trusted him. Um, and yeah, I, I, I personally think he will start against Brighton. I hope so anyway.
0: Okay. Howard, do you, do just yeah. a kind of a yes or no, really. Do you think his performance against Cardiff merited... Uh, a place in the side in the semi-final yeah well you're not getting a yes or no well
1: (laughs) no you're getting a yes and then I'm going to say a bit more anyway (laughs) (laughs) the the caveat is I never thought he'd start against Cardiff so really my opinion is worthless (laughs) Uh, so and yeah there is a growing thought that he might start this weekend because obviously with two games very close together we do have to wonder about match fitness of Kevin De Bruyne and David Silva because obviously he's an old man now uh, and then there's a question about is you know is David Silver putting in better performances than, than Phil Foden? So yes, he does merit it, and it wouldn't be a surprise. It would have been a week ago if he starts in the semi. It all depends again again about Pep, who he, if he thinks the likes of David Silver, Kevin De can play two games in four days, uh, but Steve's made a good point. I feel at least one of them won't be able to. So yeah, he he may have a chance. So I'm started backtracking now.
0: <laughs> Start beeping. Ah, I, I
1: knew I'd get you. Yeah. I knew I'd get you, Howard. Excellent. Well, I'd still uh, think right, his love- inclusion against Cardiff was very handy. That a game that he that Pep knew we could win easily with any of our squad members doesn't make mean it's a done deal. And not that saying Phil Foden's is still riskier because he's so inexperienced. Not yeah, you know, mm-hmm. because he's a bad footballer. He is inexperienced, and this is. Really big time, you know, a few big weeks and big games in our history. Uh, so I do feel that he played him knowing that he could give, that we'd still be too good for Cardiff and and give rest to a lot of play, you know, big players because that bench yeah. was loaded, <laughs> absolutely loaded with talent. So, yeah, it's worked out quite well. Uh, but again, I, you know, I was thinking more of the Champions League, Old Trafford. Would, would he put Foden in there? I just... Find that hard to believe. I think next season he's still when he gets more regular starts.
0: But I think that was a yes. Where are t- where <laughs> I slightly disagree with you, Howard, is just that I think that Cardiff's performance against Chelsea would have made would have given Pep pause before he picked the team in midweek. Because they did make it very difficult for Chelsea and were obviously very unlucky and should have got something out of the game, if not the full three points. Um, And I think because of that, it would have been a more challenging selection. So I'm really pleased that he still picked Phil. And I completely take on board the idea that, well, yeah, Cardiff aren't that good. And in a way, you'd expect with KDB there, with Ferner there, that you'd expect Foden to be able to slot in without it being that big a deal. But I still think that, you know, in big games, Guardiola has tended to err on the side of caution and go with experience over youth. And it was a big game because with six, seven Premier League games left, every game's a cup final when there's only one point in it. So I think that that selection midweek the more i've thought about it the more it can't be underestimated not saying for sure it will start at wembley but i do think it gives me a, a sense of maybe okay i want to talk about something which obviously has been a hot talking point this week benjamin mendy out in the club um yeah i mean it's another one of those it's a very difficult conversation to have because i don't really know where to begin or where to end um Steve I'm going to start with you this time like where do you fall on the Benjamin Mendy conversation I
2: don't fall anywhere Um, that's that's my honest answer I, I don't have an opinion on it I don't know enough about it I don't know the ins and outs and I don't know for example I don't know how often Benjamin Mendy goes out I don't know how often he stays in I don't know how dedicated he is to his recovery um I, I don't know any of this and I would, I always loathe to, to be critical of a footballer for going out because you can't expect them to be angels and be in 24 seven, you know, 365 days a, a, a year that they're, they're young men and they will, you know, have a need at times to go out to, to a nightclub oh. or, you know, go out somewhere. Um, and when they do, someone inevitably will, will film them with, with their camera phones and, you know, a big hoo-ha is made of it. So I, I honestly don't fall anywhere on it. I, I I just hope it wasn't a stupid thing that he did. I suspect it might be a stupid thing that he did. And if it was a stupid thing that he did, then, oh, it just, you know, that's, that's very disheartening given his, his circumstance. Yeah, uh, So that's that's, that's where I land, which is very much on the fence. I apologise for that. (laughs) I think the only point I make is the
1: only thing that matters is what Pep thinks. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Literally, it's not in the scheme of things the worst thing. He's not done anything that terrible. But, yeah, Pep's drilled, disciplined. He wants it all. He has a very high bar, very high standards. It's what he thinks. And Mendy knows this. Mendy knows he'll be seen in the club. So. It's a bit stupid of him to put him out there, even if what he's doing isn't that bad. Uh, you don't have to be a hermit. You can go out and come home. You know, at certain times, we've all had, yeah, to, do, we've all had to do that in our life. And, we, you know, we're not uh, professional footballers or athletes or sportsmen. We've all had to make sacrifice, smaller ones. He knew it would be public knowledge because it always is in this modern era. Uh, and it's pretty naive of him. But we, as Steve said, I don't truly know. We're going off reports it's what Pep thinks. Uh if he was fit for Wednesday
0: then that's very yeah you know, and wasn't in the squad that's very telling. But he was yeah. He was well, fit last weekend as well. He was fit for the Fulham game and wasn't in the squad and he was fit for um the midweek game was, and, and wasn't in the squad and now, that's the big worry. Yeah, now Wasinchenko Pep's got a big decision to make. So this is my final question to the two of you on on, on Mendy. Um obviously my understanding is that Mendy is being frozen out, right? That it's not a case that he's not fit; it's a case that Guardiola has decided that he's not going to be in matchday squads for whatever reason. Um, I kind of floated this on the review after the Cardiff game, so I want to know what you both think. We now find ourselves in a position where we don't have another option. Yeah, um, where do you fall? Does Mendy come back into the fold? for the semi-final and the quarter-final of the Champions League? Or do you feel that that undermines the kind of squad discipline that Guardiola expects? And for that reason, even with the injury to Zinchenko, Mendy's done.
2: I think Mendy's done. I think we played different with him in the team. Um, Yeah. And adjustments would have to be made made to accommodate him. Um, I just believe... That Pepper played Danilo at uh, left back and just train and train and train on him uh, for, to get him through the rest of the season. Um, that's my personal opinion, anyway. I, I think, you know, Delph, I know he's injured as well at the moment, but Delph too is, is you know, looking very much like he's on the periphery. Um, and we don't have a left back going into the most important six weeks of the modern era for us. So, um, but I think that left back will be Danilo. I think he should be back in the squad. Absolutely. Mm. In the squad. Yeah.
1: Because. Yeah. There's no. Yeah. What it should do is what's best for this team or what's best to get results and get us to win trophies. And I don't think. If he's brought back in, I don't think the rest of the squad are going to go, oh, that's ridiculous. He gets away with murder. I think we've got better things to worry about. And he's probably a popular mm. guy, even if he does take yeah. the Mickey sometimes. It's not going to disrupt uh, the morale of the squad. I'm not saying put him straight in the team. But to not have him as an option, should Danilo be playing and go injured, would be absolutely cutting your nose off to spite of your face, in my I agree with opinion. That, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he should be travelling him back in, and he should be there as an option because really no one benefits by just freezing him out for the rest of the season. I
0: completely agree, and I think that Guardiola's got form for this, um, and I think that just like with the Samueletto situation at Barcelona, where you know the players, the coaching staff basically had to go to Pep and go listen. We need this guy. Yeah. Um, I think, I hope that regardless of what Pep's personal feelings are about Mendy's discipline, that there's enough people around him going, listen, Benjamin Mendy, if he's fit, is world class and he's there. You've got to, especially now with Zinchenko out, you've got to bring him back in. You've got to give him, you've got to play him. Simple. The two, the games are too big. Uh, the stakes are too high. It would be shocking. Really shocking, yeah, to find yourself in a situation where Fabi Delf is left back, or even Danilo is playing left back and gets exposed in a game, and it costs us one of these four trophies. That would be a very difficult thing to swallow. Whilst Benjamin Mendy sat on the bench a bit, uh, so I
2: I don't entirely agree with that. I, I think there is just as much risk attached to playing Benjamin Mendy.
0: Uh, I think there's yeah, no, sure. a lot of football. A lot sure, of football. totally. You're absolutely right, Steve. And I'm, I'm probably going too far in the other extreme to, to make the point. But I do feel that having a €55 million, Euro, €50 million fullback in your squad with all the injury issues that he's had, if he's currently fit, mm. then with the injury issues that we have, he should be being considered. I guess that's what it yeah. comes down to for me. Um, okay. So, semi-final this weekend. Now, obviously, there's going to be no blues there to watch it because we're not arsed. But obviously, for the Brighton fans, we're going to put a show on. I'm interested in the team. We've touched upon it earlier because I believe that, I'll just put it on the table, I think the team we'll see in the semi will be much closer to the team that we saw on Wednesday than people expect. It will be rotated in a way where I expect some of our best players to be given arrest um, what I'd like to know and I'm going to start with you Howard because I know how much you love to to talk about team selections <laughs> and potential you know tactical switches that Pep could make um, give me some hashtag analysis like how do you see Pep dealing with the two massive fixtures really close together where do you see him potentially rotating and where would you rotate not a scooby no idea <laughs>
1: no idea I, I would think I think the key areas where we've already discussed I don't we don't know what Sergio you know, before the press conference today we don't know Sergio Aguero's availability but even if he was close to fitness I think he'd leave him out so Sergio Aguero if it's minor we're looking at Spurs the, the question is you know the, the De Bois and David Silver, whether to rest them I think the defence can stay as it is, uh, and I don't think they'll have a problem with them playing. Uh, he may change... Well, of course, Zinchenko, Walker and Danilo are probably the two that start, but I don't think they'll have a problem with the likes of Stones and Laporte playing twice. So, and Fernandinho again, just come back, but probably had an easier time. I think he'd risk him. I'd, it's so tough. It's all these players that came back and started... If I'm being honest, he'll he'll play. I think. Went Tuesday is obviously the one where he'll want that his strongest eleven out. Yeah. So Fernandinho could drop for this as well. He may put Gundogan in playing, you know, there in that role. He could play Foden and rest one of De Bruyne, David Silva. So more the changes for Brighton, I think. But again, the defence may pick itself. The Zatmendium might come in and then. Again, he might want to rest one of the in the ports or stones for Tuesday. It's so impossible to say, but I think he will. he's obviously erring towards Tuesday having the very strongest side because that's the tougher game. I know, oh, I know we it's... could come unstuck against Brighton. Let's not, you know, Chris Houghton's already said he's gonna. He's not going to just open up and let us rip them apart. It's going to be defensive. They're going to be narrow. They may well frustrate. It's not done deal or you know, anything like that, despite the odds of them getting a result. Mm. But I think Pep still has to wear towards making more changes for this game
0: than for next Tuesday. When you look at the front three, um, who are you choosing? So you've got, your options obviously are the obvious. You've got Bernardo, you've got Raz, you've got Leroy, you've got Mahrez. Um Which two are you choosing for, for the semi-final? uh all of them with Jesus up front, obviously.
1: I'd, I'd, yeah, you know, because they're going to be now. I'd have. I think it'll it'll rest one of Sterling. I think Sterling will start, and Sane. I think he rest one of them at you know every point. I think Bernardo yep. might be wide, but again, it all depends on whether David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne are fit to play, want to play, or he wants to you know play with Tuesday in mind. So. Yeah, it's impossible to say without knowing the fitness of the players I think Bernardo Silva's fine for both games especially you know after mid he's not had the hardest week so I think he's in and I think it'd be one of Sterling again you know as he didn't start against Cardiff but again it's whether you think he can do these two games in quick succession mm. uh, but I don't think he'll have a problem I don't think we will be too worried about players like Sterling playing twice in a few days to be honest so Sterling, Bernardo, maybe wide, uh, and who knows in the middle, and Jesus up front.
0: Okay, Steve, what about for you? Do you think that's a little bit harsh on Mares and Leroy after after their performances in midweek? Do you think either of them should get a chance against Brighton?
2: I think they will. I think, um, like I say, I, I've kind of determined this by looking at the players who I expect to be rested for for Spurs um, and Sterling. Unquestionably, is is one of our top three most important players. Um, so I don't think Sterling starts against Brighton, uh, and I think Bernardo Silva might, even though he is also incredibly influential. Um, but just from his fitness levels, you, you get the. I'm re, well, I, I'm not even going to say it, lads. You you know what I'm hinting at here. Yeah, I don't want to tempt fate by saying anything about Bernardo Silva, but you know, let's say he's, he's someone who you, you get a good feeling about and, you know, that he, he gets through games and, you <laughs> good good set of lungs on him. Good set of lungs. Let's say that. Yeah. I don't want to tempt fate there. Um, but yeah, I, I think for that reason, I think it'll be Bernardo Silver starting, uh, and then even Morez or Sarne, And I think the balance works better with Sarne. So yeah, Bernardo Silva and Sarne with Jesus would be my front three or who I expect Pep to go with. Um, I've already gone through the midfield. Um, I think, I really hope he doesn't start with Fernandinho. Um, I don't want to take that chance. We can beat Brighton without Fernandinho. We can't beat Spurs without Fernandinho, or at least, you know, the odds are significantly reduced. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think David Silva, from being rested against Cardiff, I think he'll he'll start uh, alongside Phil Foden, which we've not seen before, I don't think. Um as for the defense, really hard to call. Really hard. Danilo possibly starting left back. We're gonna to have to lean on Kyle Walker. In the next six weeks, we're gonna to have to lean a lot on Kyle Walker. Um we're gonna to have to rely on him. We're gonna need him. Um he's he's key. Um the centre backs, you know, we can chop and change, but God, we
0: need Kyle Walker fit. Yeah, I think he's been I think Walker's been alright recently. Um interesting. I think that. Uh, for me, if I look at the team, I kind of agree with Steve. I think I can see Leroy playing again. Uh, I can see Raz being potentially rested again and Bernardo coming in. I think one of Bernardo or Raz play yeah. and then Leroy plays. Um, I'm kind of, you know, part of me thinks after KDB's performance in midweek that De Bruyne gets an hour in the semi final, And then it becomes a conversation about... Like, does Ferner need minutes to kind of get a bit of rhythm going? Or do we just rest him again with uh, Tuesday in mind? I just don't see it because he's coming back from an injury. I can see him getting an hour as well. So I've kind of come round, even though I thought Foden would start, I've kind of taught myself now into the idea that it's going to be Kev, it's going to be Ferner, and it's probably going to be Gundo.
2: the very uh, dangerous though, mate. I mean, I get what you're saying, but because it's the semi-final... With with a possibility of extra time, you know, if this was a league game, fair enough, I can see where you're coming from. But we can't be going into a game thinking, right, we'll give him an hour, we'll give him an hour, because the way that the game evolves, it could well be where we need 120 minutes from him. So it's it's risky. I I just wouldn't want to see it. Okay, fair enough. Howard, would you agree with that? Yes. Did I hear you agreeing with that? Yes,
1: you did. Uh, Obviously, you can make well. You could in the Carabao Cup. Need to check this. You can. We might be able to make a fourth substitution if it yeah. goes into extra time. So, but yeah, it is very dangerous. Well, one player, that's fair enough, because you'd have to be hit by a succession of injuries during the match for that to be, uh, to plan to go out the window. But to have two just that you want to bring up early, not a chance for really. me.
0: Interesting. Okay, fair enough. Well, then. Okay, well, then I've, I've rethought it and then I've changed my mind and then it is going to be Gundo phone <laughs> and uh, and KDB and then KDB comes off on yeah, the yeah. hour. I could see that. And, uh, and we go from there. In the centre-back positions, I don't know if Vinny and Ottomendi are uh, a fit, but I'd be tempted to rest stones and Laporte and throw Vinny, Vinny and Otamendi in at the back as well. Um, I know that's a little bit, you know... I, I think that Otamendi and Vincent Company are as... Not as good as Stones and Laporte, but I think in a game like this, they can do exactly what Stones and Laporte yeah. do—a long, um, long ball game, probably one yeah you know, to relieve pressure. Totally, totally, like totally holding short. the ball up and yeah, physically, exactly. Is, physical is probably a good way it's, to go. For me, it's guaranteed that one of the two starts. Just a question about whether they both start. I don't think Pepper's done that very often, but maybe with the Champions League Tuesday in mind, he'll do that. Um, right, boys. Wrapping this up with a quick prediction, Um, do you see City beating Brighton in the semi-final of the FA Cup, even with none of our lot actually being there? Um, Steve, I'll start with you. Uh, Yeah, I think
2: it's going to be difficult first, but eventually comfortable. I think 3-0.
0: Excellent. Um, Howard, give me a prediction. Going for another 2-0. Interesting. I am going to be... Very brave, and I'm going to say 4-1. And the reason I'm going to say 4-1 is because I think it might be one of those where it's tight and 2-1 until 60 minutes, 70 minutes, and I think that we'll pull away in the last 20 minutes, maybe with the subs that, that Pep makes. I think that will they'll have to chase in the last part of the game because it's a semi-final. They'll have to open up a little bit, and I think when they do, it will give us the opportunity to score goals. On the break, so it's not so much about dissing Brighton or saying that they're poor. It's just that because it's a semi, they'll have to open up at at some point. And I think that we do have a little bit the bit between our teeth right now. I think that if you look at, you know, some of the I don't want to say fringe players, but some of the squad players, if they get on the pitch, they're going to want to put a performance in to maybe earn themselves a place in the bigger games that are that are to come. So, yeah, I I think it'll be an interesting game, but a a game that ultimately will be very successful for City. Um, Right, gentlemen, that was another Friday show wrapped up. Steve, thank you very much. Pleasure, mate. Howard, thank you very much. Pleasure as always. Did we miss anything? I don't think so. Excellent. Right, to everybody who listened, thank you very much. This was the Friday show. We're going to be back with a review of the semi-final on the 9320 player either Sunday or Monday. In the meantime, be safe, be well. If you're going down to Wembley, have a very safe trip down there. Have a great time and as always, up the blues.